This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Nussanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missinelli Podcast. This is episode number 101. We are doing it on Thursday. Uh, and I forget the date, but it doesn't matter. It's Thursday, August, though. What is it? 10th? August 10th on a Thursday. It's brought to us by Bet Rivers. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the 100th episode. It was, we did our 100th episode on Tuesday with some highlights of the past 100 episodes with some snippets of the interviews we did some of the thoughts we had on a great Philadelphia sports season. So we hope you enjoyed that. If you didn't hear it, you can catch it. It's episode 100. But this is episode 101 brought to you by Bet Rivers. We're going to have Scott Lauber of the Philadelphia Inquirer covers the Phillies on soon to talk about a monumental night at Citizens Bank Ballpark last night where you had the debut of a longtime minor leaguer swatting a home run in his first swing. And that was trumped, of course, by a no-hitter thrown by Michael Lorenzen and we'll talk about that uh, extensively with Scott Lauber, who was at the game covering those golden moments. And a little later, we're going to have some Bet Rivers Eagles futures bets as we prepare for the Eagles in their first preseason game on Saturday. We'll let you know how they're being looked at with the Bet Rivers futures and uh, some of the money you can make if you bet on the Eagles to win the Super Bowl or Jalen Hurts to win the MVP. But right now, let's talk about that Phillies memorable night last night. It's, it's amazing because this is a, like an average Wednesday night game against a lousy team, right? The, the Washington Nationals stink. They're trying to get some young players in there. They're rebuilding the whole thing. I don't think anybody really expected anything dynamic, especially because they had like the bottom of the order were four novices that they threw in there. They weren't playing. Stott, Marsh, of course, isn't playing. They got Rojas in there, and they bring up Weston Wilson, who had a decent spring training for the Phillies, but you know, he's one of those guys, a kind of a career minor leaguer. He's 28 years old. He's out of Clemson, just trying to get his chance to, to come up and get some big league service time. So last night he gets called up. Uh, and, you know, you can tell he's got some pop. He, he had a great year at AAA. So he's hitting a lot of home runs down there. Uh, and he's in the lineup. And he, his third uh, pitch that he sees he smashes a deep home run. It was a no doubt about it home run. He had taken a ball, and then he swung and missed uh, at a pitch. But I looked at the swing. I said, man, he seems to be on that. It looks like he's got a pretty good power swing. And then, whomp, he hits the home run. And, uh, of course, his family's going to be there. It's his first game in the major leagues, for crying out loud. And the camera, and I give NBC Sports a, a lot of credit because they had the right camera angles on last night. They had to focus on the family. And, of course, his wife was there in a pretty interesting little red dress there. Uh, and the, the, the mom and dad were, were there. And the dad is so emotional because he's probably gone through this with his kid, trying to get to the big leagues for so long. It's an emotional time. And uh, tears come out of the father's eyes. It was a great dramatic moment. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this is the story uh, for this particular game and the story, you can go to bed. It's going to be Weston Wilson. You're going to be reading about tomorrow as the Phillies win. Castellanos hits a couple of home runs. Uh, 
And uh, that makes it five nothing, right? They're up five nothing. And I, I got to be honest with you. At that point, I'm 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 not at, that interested in the game. I know Lorenzen hasn't given up a hit, but what are the odds that he's going to continue to throw a no hitter? This guy has has not, has not come close to throwing a no hitter in, in the big leagues. He's been a reliever primarily in his big league career. He's never thrown more than ninety pitches. I don't believe so. So here we go, and all of a sudden, he gets a one two three inning in the top of the seventh. Now, uh, he's got uh, 100 pitches on the board uh, through seven. And so I tweet out, well, because I'm looking at the dugout, and it looks like he's, he's not done. And I'm going, I tweet out, well, why would they send him out for the eighth? They're certainly not going to ha- have him hang in there long enough to finish off a no-hitter, because if he does that, he's going to be in the 120s. And lo and behold, he comes back out, for the eighth inning. I gave people a chance to see on Twitter. You're wrong again, Mike. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be right. I was just trying to measure the circumstances of what major league managers do. They protect their pitcher more than they care or give him a chance to finish off a no-hitter. Now, you can you can uh, argue with that kind of thing because, listen, I, I cherish a no-hitter. That's quite an achievement, and I would like to see all pitchers go for it. But I also understand the dynamic of wearing out a guy in this day and age, and you just don't see it. Where if if they anticipate that a guy to finish off a no hitter hitter is going to have to go close to 130 pitches, they're not going to do it. So I, I was stunned when they sent him out for the eighth. Now once you send him out for the eighth, at that point, I think you got to let him finish it. So let's talk about that that dynamic. Uh, Thompson says after the game that he asked his pitcher how he's feeling. Now there's not a pitcher alive that is going to tell their manager, you know what, Skip, take me out. Seriously, like, what's the answer going to be for Michael Lorenzen? Of course, he's going to say, "I feel good, Skip." Like, that's what, like, you know, why would you even ask him? That's it. That's why a manager has to make a decision without asking a guy because hundred percent going to get the answer. I feel good because he wants to try to get the no hitter, and I get that. It's a once in a lifetime situation, so he sends him out for the eighth, saying, "All right, you got twenty pitches." Now, at that point, you think Rob Thompson, if he gives him fifteen? And, and they go into the ninth inning, and, and, he's, and he's at 20. Would he dare take him out of a no-hitter at that point? Like, so I call BS on, on Rob Thompson saying you got 20 pitches to finish it off because it would be hell to pay if he let him go into the eighth and then took him out uh, because he was afraid of the pitch count. So anyway, he, he finishes it off. And, and let's let's just look at the, at the last uh, – at bats here. We get we get to the eighth inning, and, and here's the way it goes for the Nationals. Rutherford flies out to right. Call lines out to center. Abrams lines out to right. Okay. Um, three outs. Now, Lorenzen gave up 15 fly ball outs uh, last night. Now, that normally never happens with a guy who's got a no-no because one of those balls that gets in the air it's probably going to carry out of the ballpark, but he had him off stride with a great changeup last night. So they could really never get a bead on, on what he was throwing up there. So, all right, he gets through the eighth inning. The Phillies are up seven and nothing. They go out in order in the bottom of the eighth. And here he comes to a standing ovation to take the mound in the ninth inning to try to finish off a no-hitter. He gets Thomas to ground at the third. He gets Manessis striking out looking on a pitch that I think the umpire helped him out on saying, He's got a no hitter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say strike three on this. It was a ball, but he gets the call strike, gets him out, two outs, and Dominic Smith, who by the way I think stinks. Yeah, you know, this guy, 
They've been talking about this guy for forever as a Mets prospect. He never hits, but he gave a pretty good at-bat until he flies out to center field to Johan Rojas, who finishes it off. And Michael Lorenzen gets a no-hitter. And it was cool because, you know, teammates are happy for guys like that. Like, these aren't superstar players. Like, they were really happy for Weston Wilson because they, this is the golden moment in his kid's career. And they were really happy for Lorenzen to the point where they stayed out there after the game, just hanging out, absorbing the feeling as he got the interviews and his wife comes down with the with, with their child and the mother is there. And it was kind of a special night. And, you know, I don't want to go overboard and say this is make baseball special and ha- why can't we be romantic about baseball? But that was a cool night seeing the, seeing the parents and seeing the wives. And like, oh, my God, they, he really did it. That was pretty cool. And, and, and Darren, I know as a fan, and you're a lot more of a fan than I am, um, you thought that was a cool night. I'm a sucker, man, for the dad in the stands or the mom and dad in the stands. Dad's got tears in his eyes. Wilson. I mean, it's just incredible. Great job by the Phillies having both their families there last night. Um, it's a great job, by, like you said, by NBC Sports. I'm pretty sure that's my buddy Dave Didinger, Ray's son, who controls that camera and, and where to pick those, guys, those people up, tells them where to go, puts those shots up. Great job by that crew. It was just, it was a really great emotional night. It's one of the probably, there's maybe like five nights in, in all of baseball where I'm just like, oh, I can't believe I'm not at that game. Like last night, like I, you know, I live like 20, 25 minutes from the stadium. If I lived 10 minutes, I would have been there. I would have been like running right over there and just trying to get in there for those last couple of innings. You could just feel it. It was a, it was building to that crescendo. And what kind of a game, how much went on in that game last night where, Castellanos hits two home runs, including the 200th of his career, and it's an afterthought. It's it's so far and away the third story of the night. All right, so just to the side for tonight's game, <laughs> I hate to do this, but since Bet Rivers is our sponsor, uh, with an emotional game like that for the Phillies, I always look at it, and this is years of covering sports. Like the next game is always like the down game. Because the emotion is so high. Now, a lot of people think it works the other way. It was They're so keyed up that they'll come out and romp the Nationals. And I always look at it the other way. Like, maybe the energy will be a little bit down last night because they spilled a bucket of emotions last night. And I think the Nationals are actually a good bet tonight. And you can get them at a great price. The Phillies are minus 250 with Aaron Nola. You can make a ton. A little $10, $20 bet on the Nationals. I know people don't like to do that against their home team. I just It's one little thing I spotted. So, if, if that doesn't come to fruition you can hammer me about it uh but anyway let's you just see quickly... mike do you see a letdown like that though in baseball i know that's a big football yeah thing. i do i do when you come to the park and you go okay well that was such a great night last night and you're thinking about how great a night is it is and it, it's yeah. just that you don't have the same verb i don't know that's just the way i've i've, I've uh, uh kind of studied it over the years and i could be totally yeah. wrong but I'm, I, I, you know, is this a violation? I might put 20 on the Nationals tonight. No, it's, I, don't it's, I thought get, about it. You could get it at a monster price, and you never know what Aaron Nola. So, uh, all right, but I digress. So let's let's go back quickly to the Phillies. Well, Weston Wilson, they like him a little bit. They liked him in spring training. Uh, and in left field, they have a situation where they would like to get a little more pop out of left field. Now, they're playing Marsh. They're going to play Rojas in center. And they, Rojas may stick with his team the rest of the year the way he plays center field. So Marsh playing left, and occasionally you would like to get a right-handed bat in there uh, in either position. Now, who will it be that right-handed bat? Christian Pache is 
coming back from the IL, he'll probably get a shot. But the, I know they like Wilson and his pop. So I, he'll probably get another chance to play tonight. And and we'll see if Weston Wilson could be that that guy like, uh, you know, Brad Miller, who uh, fills in here, fills in there, and hits a couple home runs. Uh, so they have Wilson, Pache, Marsh, Rojas in that outfield right now in two spots. And uh, you wonder if that's going to be good enough. I don't have any worries about the Phillies making the playoffs. The, their lineup is the best lineup of any of those teams they're vying for. They're not going to win their division, which means they'll probably be the top wild card. And you can figure out, if you look at the standings, who they're going to play as, as the top wild card. Uh, and Harper uh, pretty much has to play first base every day now. The Schwarber's not going to get back in left field. Schwarber's got to be the everyday DH, and Harper's going to play every day at first base. So we'll see how that works out. Right now, they're rolling with a six-man rotation, and they may have some back end of the bullpen problems. They got to count on on uh, Alvarado coming back. They got to count on on Soto not being weathered, and and Kimbrel not being weathered, and Dominguez coming back with some sharpness. So right now, that's a minor problem for the Philadelphia Phillies. But um, that has nothing to do with the emotions of last night, and uh, a great job uh, for everybody uh, with the Phillies. Uh, uh, organization the whole the whole dynamic of it the drama was a great night to be down there and uh, yeah i wish i was down there too it's the mike Yusinelli podcast on the bet rivers network all right ladies and gentlemen time for our first guest of the day what better guest to have on than a man who covered last night's monumental phillies game where all of a sudden excitement just popped out of nowhere a monday night against the washington nationals turned into a spectacular night for fans and uh, a guy covering it. Uh, it's exciting to cover a game like that, but not because you're a fan, but because of the drama that's unfolding that you can write about. Scott Lauber from the Inquirer, beat writer for the Phillies, joins us. Hello, Scott. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, these are reportable moments mm. that get a journalist a little excited because you can you can obviously use the the, the color in your brain to to describe what is happening. So. As you're watching that game, and the first thing that happens is Weston Wilson's story, uh, yeah. what are you thinking as a journalist who covers the team? Yeah, you know, I think what you what what you live for in this job, as you know, Mike, is uh, just a good story to tell, right? So you cover hundreds of these games, thousands of these games over your career. This is my 18th season covering Major League Baseball, so thousands of games, right? And um uh, you know, you, you only get the opportunity to really tell the story of, of history a few times, right? I mean, sometimes you cover a team that gets to the World Series and that's historic. And sometimes you cover, um, you know, an individual performance, whether it's a cycle or something like that. And that's historic. That's something we're going to be talking about. It's, it's history that you want to record and you want to do as good a job as you possibly can conveying uh, the moment, um, which is the challenge, right? Like, um, they did something that was extraordinary and you want to rise to that moment by chronicling it as best you can. So of course the night begins with Weston Wilson hitting a home run in his first major league at bat. And that in, a, in and of itself is a, uh, it's a historic moment. Um, it's certainly a memorable moment in his life and his career. And so for the first, at least half of that game, I'm thinking, Oh, I'm writing the Weston Wilson story tonight. You know, his family's out in the stands and um, he's 28 years old. It's not a typical rookie. He's, He's had over three, almost 3,000 career plate appearances in the minor leagues. He's got a really good story to tell. And, and then he, he walks twice and he scores three runs, and it's like, oh, okay, this is the Weston Wilson game. 
Um, and then, you know, you start to get into the middle and to the latter third of that game, seventh inning, you're like, oh, he hasn't allowed a hit yet. And um, and your focus shifts a little bit um, to, to Lorenzen and what he's doing and certainly um, bidding for the 14th no-hitter in the history of the Phillies. They've been around since 1883, and there have been 14 of these. Um, and so uh, it, it's sort of the story kind of changes uh, right in front of your eyes. So, no, it was – you very rarely get one of those things happening. To get two of them happening, it's um, – I've never covered a, a single uh, pitcher no-hitter in the in the major leagues. I've, I've only covered wow. – uh, last year in the World Series when they got no-hit by the Astros, that was a combined no-hitter. That was the first one since I was covering double-A baseball in Binghamton, New York in 2003 that I covered a, a no-hitter. So this is my first single no-hitter. So it was um, – Another thing to kind of cross off the the bucket list of something you've you've been able to do in a, in a career covering baseball. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the storyline will go through your head. Obviously, yeah, journalists is looking for the story what they're going to write about, and they do that fairly early because you got to you know paint a picture of where you're going to go with the story and who you're going to talk to and all that. And the Wilson thing's on a silver platter for you. He he steals a base. He makes makes that play mm. in left field. Yeah. Uh, so so it's all there. His his dad is crying on television. I mean, that's all there. Lorenzen said that he thought about the no-hitter in the fourth inning. Mm -hmm. So when did you – because the Wilson thing is so overwhelming for the journalist that you're not even think, perceiving the no-hitter no. until when? Well, I was more like Nick Castellanos. So he said he didn't realize it was a no-hitter until the eighth inning. Now, I didn't take that long to notice it. But I was into like the fifth or sixth before I was like, you know, they don't have a hit yet. Uh, looking down at my scorecard and realizing that there were just the four walks. And um, so, and part of the reason why Castellano said he didn't realize it until so late was they were so excited about so much that was going on there, whether it was the Weston Wilson story, which had the dugout fired up. Um, you saw Bryce Harper's reaction when Wilson hit the home run and he was on the top step waiting for him to come back. It was a big night for Nick Castellanos himself. He hit two home runs, including the 200th of his career. So that was something that was going on. Um, there was so much happening in the first half of that game that it almost went unnoticed that Michael Lorenzen hadn't allowed a hit yet. And it wasn't a perfect game. He did have a couple of base runners on base. The Nationals did draw four walks. But uh, it was about the fifth or sixth inning when I was like, oh, this is kind of getting interesting. And normally my experience is it re really start to kind of like get on guard for this by like the seventh inning or so. And a lot of it also depends on the guy's pitch count. Because fair or not, you know, a combined no hitter is a little less um, it carries a little less weight, right? Than when a guy does it himself. And Lorenzen threw a lot of pitches early in that game, fifty three of them in the first three innings alone. And you were like, well, even if this thing continues, he's not going to get it by himself. Now he's at a hundred pitches in the seventh inning, and he comes back out for the eighth. And you look it up, and his season high was 101. His career high was 107. Like, okay, maybe they get him through the eighth. And I look out in the bullpen in the eighth inning, and it's Dylan Covey warming up. And like, he's not bringing Dylan Covey into this game. And Lorenzen comes in in the ninth. And, um, you know, right away, um, you just knew that, uh, you know, you look at who, who he's facing. He's facing kind of the top of their order. A couple of their better hitters, Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis. Dominic Smith, and you're like, well, is he going to do this or not? So really for me, it was like by the seventh inning or so, when he came out for the eighth, then it really uh, caught my attention. It was like, okay, they're going to give him a chance to do this by himself. All right, let's talk about that because that's a major part of this game and a major angle in the game. 
uh, and you just don't see it anymore. A, a manager in this day and age, if if he has to send a starter out uh, to the 125 pitch roll, he's not going to let him complete it. it. I mean, it just never happens. There's yeah. the the Santana example that's just way out there where he he just ruined himself trying to finish that thing off. So. There is no way at 100 pitches that I'm thinking he's going to send them out for the eighth inning. Uh, and, and I'm curious to know what you thought the mindset was there. A manager who's programmed to protect his pitcher at all costs, even if it costs a no-hitter, to what Rob Thompson did last night. So Rob Thompson pulled back the curtain a little bit on that decision. So he said he he met with Lorenzen in the tunnel under the dugout after the seventh inning. Lorenzen was at 100 pitches. As I said, 101 was his season high. 107 was his career high. He said, all right, you have 20 pitches to finish this thing off. He, well, first he said, he said, how do you feel? Lorenzen said, I feel good. He said, do you feel strong? He said, I feel strong. He said, okay. In that case, I'm giving you 20 pitches. You better get this done in 20 pitches. That's all you got. So he was prepared to go with him to a point where um, – uh, you know, they very rarely go anymore. I looked it up. So the last Phillies pitcher to throw 124 pitches, which is what Lorenzen threw last night in the start, was Cole Hamels in his no-hitter in 2015. The last one to do it in a non-no-hitter was Sean O'Sullivan the same year, 2015, and he threw 124 pitches in five and a third innings. <laughs> So, so I don't really know what the circumstance was. I wasn't, I was covering the Red Sox then. So I don't really know what the circumstance was, why he was allowed to stay in that long. Um, but um, that's eight years ago. So eight years ago is the last time any Phillies pitchers gotten close to this. Now, Lorenzen goes out there and he gets to, he gets 11 pitches to get out of the eighth. So now it's 111. And Thompson said, like, if he had been at like 114, 115, 116, that might've been it for him after eight. See, I, I, I'm going to call bullshit on that because if you say there's no way you take him at that point, you know, t- you know, if, if he, yeah, 115, then you take him out. It's like you, you would have never been able to live that down. Well, so then, then we get into the ninth, right? And he gets Lane Thomas to ground out. He strikes out Joey Manessis on I, what looks like a questionable third strike, right? Yes. So now he's at 117, I believe. And Dom Smith comes up. And he goes runs the count full on Smith. That's a seven-pitch at bat. And, um, you know, I was talking at the very end of the night. I was talking to JT Real Muto about this. And we were going – I was I wanted him to kind of go through that last pitch. And he said, well, I thought about calling a changeup. And I thought Smith's been on the changeup, I think, uh, throughout the night. And then I thought about calling a fastball, a four-seam fastball. But I wanted it away if it was going to be a fastball. And it was a full count. And I wasn't sure he was staying in the game if he walked him. So I was like, I'm not calling that pitch. So he said, I trust the slider. Let's go with the slider. That's what he threw. And he got Smith to pop it up. Now, Rob Thompson says if Smith had walked, he's probably coming out to get him. Oh, my God. But he goes, he goes, I might have needed a bulletproof vest to come out to get him, right? So, um, you know, I, I, the other part of this that's really interesting is that uh, they've got days off on Monday and Thursday next week, two days off. So Lorenzen's going to get eight days, Rob Thompson said, between uh, eight days rest. And that factored in, too, because if he was on regular rest, he said, I probably don't go as far with him as I did. So I'm thinking the conversation after the seventh inning where he said, you have 20 more pitches, 
was partially predicated on the fact that he had eight days rest. Oh, well, that, I got to give credit to Rob Thomas because he figured it out to that extent and he trusted the guy to finish it off tidally. But I, I've, ne- I've never seen this day and age. I'm thinking there's no way they can send him out for the eight because the, the, the least amount of pitches is going to be in the 120s. So there's no reason that they're going to risk that. And I, and I was shocked that, that he, he sent him back out for the eight. And once you send him back out for the eight, that, uh, then you got to think about what the ramifications are if you pull him at that point. So that's why I thought the eighth inning was going to be the, the bullpen guy. But uh, let's just talk a, a little bit about this game and, and the ramifications. Now, um, we've seen it before where a guy will come up in the minor leagues and have a great game like that. And, and Weston Wilson's story is interesting in the minor leagues for so long, and he comes in, he got a really good swing at that first pitch that he missed and then uh, hit, yeah. hit, hit the second one. But here's my question to you. What now? Because they have Pache is going to come back off the IL. Marsh is doesn't look as comfortable in left field as he did in center. Rojas looks really smooth in center, but the Pache thing is there. So what are they going to do? Are they going to play Harper every day at first base now and then decide what they're going to do with the left field, center field situation later? They're going to play Harper almost every day at first base. I mean, it's not going to be every single day. He's going to get some DH days and he's going to get some recovery days because he is still coming back from major elbow surgery. But, you know, it's going to, he's going to be the primary first baseman. Look, I think that the plan moving forward, if they're all healthy, is for Marsh to play left field and then to figure out center field between Rojas and Pache. Now, Rojas and Pache, to me, are somewhat uh, similar players. They're both right-handed hitters, both... Um, really good defenders, uh, works in progress as hitters. I'd like to see Rojas keep getting a run of playing time here because uh, he's opened my eyes a little bit against righties. I know that um, he kind of caught their attention when he got a hit against David Bednar in Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago. That's as tough a righty as you're going to face, especially coming out of the pen. And uh, and he got a hit to left field to drive in a run. So uh, I'd like to see him get a run of playing time here. He is elite, elite defensively. Like I've covered... You know, I think about Jackie Bradley Jr. when he was with the Red Sox covering him. I thought he was as good a center fielder as I've seen. Um, you know, uh, you know, fan, you know, people go back to like Gary Maddox and the center field that he played. I mean, Rojas is as good as I've seen. So, you know, we heard about this uh, moving, fo- you know, when uh, when he was in the minor leagues that he played a major league caliber center field, and we're seeing it now. I don't think some of those plays in center field were as easy as he made them look last night. You know, I mean, I really don't like you look back and you think about a no hitter and usually there's a play that stands out as like this super defensive play that we're all, you know, treating as a sidebar to the story of how the pitcher pitched. There wasn't one of those last night. And I think part of that is Rojas had a lot of balls hit to him and he he makes these plays look easy. So I'd really like to see him get an extended run in center field and see what happens. But Pache's played really well. He played was playing well before he got hurt. And I think they think that. They've unlocked some offense from him. So I think they'll give them both a little bit of a chance to to kind of grab the ball and, and run with it in uh, in uh, in center field. Okay, so so Rojas stays as far as you're concerned. I mean, well, for now, because Marsh is on the IL. And if you can yeah. to me, to me, if it's pre-September one, it's hard to keep Pache and Rojas because they are similar. If you get to September 1 and you can expand the roster and you get the two extra roster spots, I could see keeping one of them. Uh, I could see keeping both of them because you could, you know, if one of them is playing well and getting the lion's share of the playing time in center field, you could treat the other one as a defensive replacement slash pinch runner type because they have those skills. So I think if you get to September 1, 
uh, and and you can keep then then it's much easier to keep them both. All right. So here's the thing regarding Wilson, and I know he's an afterthought. He's the guy that's probably going to go, but they they like the fact that he's got a little more pop that they can play him in left field in a kind of a not a strict platoon, but to give Marsh a blow. Uh, it's like a Brad Miller theme, but from the other side. So, what, like, he could he possibly win that kind of a role uh, and stay up here? Yeah, I mean, I suppose he could. Um, you know, Marsh hits from the left side. Wilson hits from the right side. I don't think it would be a platoon because they don't look at Marsh as a platoon player necessarily. But, um, you know, he would give them a different look. Maybe Jake Cave, who's a left-handed hitter, is a little bit less – necessary at that point if Marsh is playing every day in in left field uh it does make your bench a little bit overly right-handed if you keep Wilson over cave but um you know look these are going to be decisions that um I guess you know what do they always say right these are good decisions to have to make if you have to choose between some of these guys and um you know when they're at full strength the other thing about it is when they're at full strength they don't do a lot of pinch hitting right you're not going to pinch hit for Castellanos or for Schwarber or for Harper or for Turner or for Real Muto. So, um, you know, the bench is important, but I think as you get down toward the end of the season, they're going to get a lot of Thursdays off. They're going to get a lot of built-in rest for their guys. Maybe it becomes a little less important who you're carrying on that bench, and you just carry the hottest bat. We're talking to, uh, we're talking to Scott Lauper, who, who uh, covers the Phillies for the Inquirer. Now, Scott, last, last question. Um, I think they're they're pretty much a lock at this point to get in the playoffs. I think their, their lineup against those other teams measures up pretty well. But – there is this back end of the bullpen kind of situation that is leaked in here. Uh, and I worry a little bit about Kimbrel, worry about uh, Dominguez. So what are, are they worried at all? Uh, I think they are aware of the workload for Kimbrel and for Soto in particular. They've had to carry a load here while Dominguez was out and while Alvarado is out. Um, Alvarado is going to go out on a rehab assignment here very soon. He had a little bit of a, they called it cramping in his in his hands the other day. He's supposed to throw a, uh, you know, to face hitters today, and then he's going to in a controlled setting, and then he's going to go out in a rehab assignment. So uh, they think he's close, but he's been on the DL twice now, the IL, excuse me, twice now for um, uh, elbow inflammation. And when it happens once, fine. When it happens twice, your antenna goes up, and you're like, well, how much are they going to get up from this guy down the stretch when he does come back? So. I think they're going to be careful now. I mean, that may be the one regret they end up having about the trade deadline. We we were focused so much on a right-handed bat, which they decided they didn't need because they wanted to go in a different direction and uh, they didn't really like the choice of players who were out there and that they needed pitching depth in the rotation in case one of these guys gets hurt. They didn't really like their depth in AAA. I mean, you know, the bullpen, they do feel like they have depth. I mean, they have Brogdon down in AAA. They have Bellotti down in AAA. They have Ortiz down there. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they may end up saying, well, should we have gotten another back-end piece uh, that we can pair with their big four, which are Kimbrel, Soto, Alvarado, and Dominguez? I mean, if they're all healthy, they don't need another piece to pair with them back there. That gives Rob Thompson plenty of options, two from the right side, two from the left, that he can use in the late innings. But how's Alvarado going to come back? I talked to Dominguez the other day. He said he's still kind of getting his command back after he missed a month. So um, there are questions back there for sure. And you want to be careful. Kimbrell's 35, and he's pitched very, very well this year. Uh, he's been an important part of what they've done. 
But you also want to be careful because you want to have him in October and you want to have Pete Kimbrell in October if you can have that. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, there, you know, you, you said it, right? I mean, there's, there's, they're probably going to make the playoffs. Uh, they are the best team in this wild card cluster, and I don't know if it's close. They may be the second best team in the National League behind the Braves. Um, they're certainly there with the Dodgers uh, for that. So, um, if you're going to point to an area of the roster where there's concern, I think that's the area right there is the bullpen and whether or not they have enough uh, meaningful depth uh, behind the big four. Two last ridiculous questions. One is about Liam Castellanos. <laughs> uh, apparently he has reigned in the entire stadium. How does, yeah. how does he find the Lorenzens and the, <laughs> and the Wilson's family? I'm assuming because they're all probably clustered in the family section that uh, they were probably near each other to begin with. But yeah, no, you're right. He's and look, Nick Castellanos had a funny line last night. Somebody asked him uh, a little bit of a uh, so it was a question about Trey Turner. I think it, it was uh, in relation to the you know it was a retroactive question in relation to the ovation that he received last weekend. And Castellanos said, "Look, first let's get some perspective here." Trey Turner signed an 11-year deal with the Phillies. So when he is in the 10th and 11th year of that deal, I am going to be in the bar with Liam drinking, watching him play. Um, so Liam is very much a part of uh, of the fabric of that clubhouse and uh, and what they're doing. He's around a lot. He's a seems like a really good kid, and um, they have a lot of fun with him. But yeah, you're right. He's photobombing everyone last he's night. Like, he's, he's getting like it on everyone's. He's all over the yeah. place. Kid. I mean, yeah, he is. Is his he wife was... there with him? Like, who's there with him? Uh, I, I think Nick's wife is usually at the games. But yeah, no, Liam was all over last night. He was yeah. having as good a time, I think, as anybody who was there. Yeah, and the last one, the young lady that got the foul ball, or the home run ball from uh, Weston Wilson, what was the trade? He said, I think he said all he had to do was sign a baseball. Oh, was he that signed it? a ball? And I think that's what he said. Uh, I was I was sort of focused on uh, the Lorenzen angle last night, but he, he did get asked about it. And I think I heard him say that all he had to do was sign a sign a ball. Well, so, you know, if that if that's, she didn't drive a hard bargain, I guess. If if that's a bigger name player, he's going he's gonna give up a lot more than a ball. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Scott, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. And uh We'll see uh, what happens uh, uh, tonight and, and for the rest of the week. Uh, it looks like they've got a, a pretty good hold on this thing right now. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Anytime. Thanks. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, let's talk about your Philadelphia Eagles. Finally, we got a preseason game. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to see the Eagles in action against the Baltimore Ravens on Saturday. And, you know, we'll get, obviously, next week, we'll have a little more conversation about how the Eagles look. Uh, right now, they look fine to me. They, there's been really a lack of drama in, in training camp this year. Uh, only a couple positions that you're really looking at. The linebacker situation, and you know, the only concern I have uh, whether they went out and they got two linebackers. Now, Kobe Dean's been banged up, but they went out and got two other guys. And and may, I, I don't know. Is that an indication that they haven't liked what they've seen from the Kobe Dean? I, I don't know what that is, but it's something you, you have to keep your eye on as we go into these preseason games. The safety position is ironing out. Reed Blankenship is having a really good camp, so there's not a problem there. Uh, and, of course, we know uh, uh, Jalen Hurts has looked uh, fantastic in, in preseason. So I, I am not worried about the Eagles at all. They're good. To me, they're the best team in the NFC. Uh, we're going to go over some odds in a minute, uh, futures on on what they are within the division and uh, what the odds are for them to win the Super Bowl. 
Uh, but let's talk about the issue that popped up this week where the NFL had their top uh, 100 list, best players in the league right now. Interestingly enough, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, I believe, had uh, seven in the top uh, 100. Uh, but the, the the major news is that Jalen Hurts was ranked number three, and he was only uh, behind um, Patrick Mahomes uh, at number one, and at number two you had uh, who did you have at number two? Justin Jefferson. Uh, yeah, so it goes Mahomes, Jefferson, Hurts, Bosa, Travis Kelsey, Joe Burrow at sixth, Tyreek Hill at seven. Eh, I don't know if I would go there. Josh Allen at eight. Micah Parsons at nine. Chris Jones, defensive tackle for the Chiefs, is 10, right ahead of, uh, of Aaron Donald. Uh, so uh, let me bring Darren in here. Darren, did you think that Hurts belonged in the three spot? No, uh, and let me put my snooty, I'm a uh, NFL man, uh, hat on right now. I hate this list. Uh, I really do. I think it's, <laughs> first of all, it's it's all players voting for either their buddies or guys who they either look up to or respect. Honestly, first of all, Mahomes should be number one. He deserves to be number one. There's no way Justin Jefferson should be number two. That's a, that's an incredible, that's malice. Uh, you know, the the. But this list, every year, people complain about it. And it's, don't, listen, these, whoever does it, NFL Network, ESPN, whoever puts these lists out, they always tweak it a bit because they know which fan bases they're going to get a rise out of. So they'll either purposely put somebody higher or lower out of a fan base where they know they're going to get reaction. That's all they want, whoever puts these lists out. They want reaction. All right, well, you know, listen, you, you opened your mouth here. So who who is your top ten? If you don't believe if Jefferson 10. belongs there, uh, I'd probably put Micah Parsons number two. I'd probably put Cal, Cal, Travis Kelsey in the top five. There's a there's a, about three or four offensive linemen that belong to be in there, belong in there. Uh, you know, Lane Johnson certainly belongs in the top ten. Um, wow, Lane Johnson, top ten? He's give me three tackles better than him. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go top ten with Lane Johnson. Well, look, he's, fact, he's ranked forty first on this list. I I just I forty first. Too many guys that are either elevated or dropped due to popularity because it's basically guys rooting for the, voting for the pals. That's the way this list comes up. It's not like five sports writers sat around. All right, I don't necessarily agree with that. I listen the way Hertz has played. I, I think that he deserves to be up there. I don't know about three. Uh, but he deserves to be in that conversation, the top five. In the entire league? Five? Yes. Coming off the season he had, he almost had that MVP season. I, I mean, look, I'm, I don't want, don't make me say You can't discount that he almost had an MVP season. Who else had an MVP season me, like that? Uh, he had a better year than Burrow. Yeah, I guess he did have a better year than Joe Burrow. That he had a better year than Josh Allen. Take, would you take Joe, Bur Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts as your quarterback for the next 10 years? Uh, what's well, a tough question? The answer's Joe Burrow. I, I think on, because please. of of the strength of Hurts, I may take Hurts. Maybe, but also the weakness of Hurts doesn't project to long. -term. But he didn't show any weakness last year, so that's why you got to rate him at hurt. this point. Except when he got hurt and lost a month, and we had to watch Gardner Minshew <laughs> around the field. Like Burrow gets hurt all the time. Come on, man. Burrow's more frail than Jalen Hurts. That's it. He hasn't missed any other time than the ACL. All right. I don't have a problem with the list at all. I really don't.
I don't necessarily have a problem with where he's ranked. I'm okay if you want to have him high. I just don't like these lists because it's mostly players rooting for their, or picking for their buddies. Yeah, but I don't think it's a player only vote. Uh, in any event, it's, uh, A.J. Brown uh, was 22nd. Uh, Jason Kelsey, 37. Lane Johnson, 41. Reddick was 48. Slay, so that's a little high for Slay. I don't think he's playing as a top timer at 100 level. 77, and Devontae Smith was 100 for your Philadelphia Eagles. All right, so here's some future odds for the Eagles. The Eagles to win the Super Bowl are plus 700. Seems like a decent enough bet to lay on. They are plus 300 to win the NFC, which is also a good bet. And to me, there's a stone lock at minus 125 to win the NFC East. So at that price, uh, to me, I, I think you jump on it. MVP odds, Jalen Hurts has plus 1,100. That's worth a shot. And then just to go back to the Phillies, the odds on Bet Rivers, Phillies plus 2,000 to win the World Series. All these odds that I just gave you are worth putting $20 on. I got news for you. And at 125 to win the NFC East, I'm going to throw a hunch on that, Darren. How about you? To win the NFC East, of course. Minus 125. That's an easy $100 bet I for think, me. I think you put more than 100 All on it. Right, I put 500 okay. on it. Yeah, let's go. I'm in for, put me in for a dime. Let's All go. Right. Uh, that'll do it. So, your Eagles talk for today. Uh, so now let's uh, move on to Mike Unleashed. Boy, Mike Unleashed, oh, it's going to be all over the place today as we come back with Mike Unleashed <laughs> as we had a two-week vacation and we did our recap show, our 100th show. So this is the first time you've heard uh, Mike Unleashed in a while. This week, an issue based on an editorial to the Philadelphia Inquirer was that the airplane banners that fly on the shoreline of the Jersey Shore have become a nuisance and I'm going, in what world are they a nuisance? They're, I mean, if you grew up going to the Jersey Shore, they are as part of the Jersey Shore as, uh, you know, boardwalk fries, for crying out loud. I mean, I they, I love those banners because they were quirky. It was like, uh, uh, okay, the dollar cover at the penalty box, ban money, right? That, that's <laughs> what I love, Jack. Dollar yeah, beer, yes. seven to nine. Five for one and whatever it was. I, I loved them. Or will yeah. you marry me, Julie? Like you would get a quirky eye like that every now and then. I, I look forward to those banners. It's a business for those people down there. Why? How could anybody be bothered by those airplane banners? What could possibly be the rationale to be bothered by a little bit of an engine noise for like 15 seconds as it flies by? I'll, I'll tell you what bothers me about them is they're not fun anymore. It used to be, like you said, <laughs> at the Springfield Inn, $2 beers from, from 7 to 9, the Giuliano brothers are playing. That's great. I love seeing that beer specials. Now it's like, you know, the law firms, it's advertising for solar. Like, they're annoying. I, I don't, don't want to come sell me on they're ads. They're part of the Jersey Shore tradition. It's like... Yes. Uh, Bur burn buttocks, use copper tone. You know, like one of those things. But they're not fun anymore. They're boring. I don't care right, about right, law firm or I can't imagine. Company. Come on, you talk about get off my lawn person, complaining about something like that. Come on, get yourself a problem, will you? All right. Anyway, um, you know, I read New York Post a lot because I just try to get the quirky stories from it. It is a complete hunk of horse shit. The uh, New York Post, frankly, but 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 the the I don't understand. There's somebody's got to enlighten me to this, and I love to hear via email of people that are into this because this is a Bravo show. The New York Post is all over these Bravo shows and the drama that goes on. And the main show they have a headline every day in the New York Post about Vanderpump Rules. 
Now, can, can me explain Vanderpump Rules? Does your wife watch Vanderpump Rules? Is she a Bravo TV person, Darren? She is, and she does, and that's why my marriage is successful because we have two good TVs in the house. So I can watch. Okay, so what is the what is the appeal of a show like Vanderpump Rules that everybody gets crazy about? I have no idea. I get mad at her when she watches those shows. I get, I get, a phys- not. I don't get really angry, but I get like. You got to stop. I, I can't have this on in my house. I just, it annoys me. That's all that, all that. Tom Sandoval. Tom Sandoval. Who is this guy that he gets a headline in the, in the New York? I don't know. I don't know who these people are. I don't care. I really don't. Right. I don't care anyway, at all. Let's move on. <laughs> I was at the uh, grocery store today and I realized that uh, I needed uh, Q-tips. My Q-tips are all gone. I know you're not supposed to put Q-tips in your ear, but you know you go around the fringes, you can get some dirt out and some wax every now and then. So Q-tips are essential. So I was torn a decision between the Bobo brand of Q-tips and actual Q-tip brand, the Rolls-Royce of Q-tips. Now, the Bobo brand is at least a dollar cheaper than the regular Q-tips. So I went splurge i went with the anti-microbial q-tips and i'm wondering if i make the right decision because a lot of people will go with the bobo q-tip there are a lot of things you can go bobo with in my view q-tips aren't one of them here's why the bobo q-tip folds too quickly it's too flimsy when you stick it in your ear now not only did i go for the q-tip i went for the antimicrobial Q-tip and spent $4.09 for a box at 300 Did I make the right call, Darren? You can't go... Yeah, I'm not... There's certain things you go Bobo. That's not a, that's, that's not Bobo. You can't go Bobo in a Q-tip. Oh, but they lure you a dollar, a dollar cheaper. Here's your dollar. It's, it's a flimsy stick. It's a limp stick, folks. You gotta go with the Q-tip real brand. Alright, let's move on. Um... I'm watching this commercial the other day, and I go, is it me, or is this a Barbera commercial? It's for Purdue Chicken. And they're bragging about how the the, the feed they use makes for better-tasting chicken. And I'm going, do I really need to know that? I mean, I feel bad enough that they're killing chickens for my for my dinner, but I, do I need to know that they, they're, they're breeding better tasting chickens so they can chop their heads off and pluck their feathers and, th- and throw them in, <laughs> in a pack for a grocery store? Like, do I really need to know? That? Am I out of line when I looked at that commercial? No. And, you know, the older I get, like, I've had this discussion with my daughter because she's my 11 year old Allie. You know how sweet she is. She's like, Dad, with the meats, I feel bad about the animals. I'm like, you know, the older I get, I actually would like to become more of a vegetarian. I just couldn't do it. I like chicken cutlets too much. I like a good steak. I can't do it. Hey, listen, I want to do it. I like chicken, too, and I'll eat chicken almost every night a week. Yeah. Yeah, but but I don't need a commercial yeah, to remind I, I me that these chickens are being raised to be slaughtered for me. You know what I'm I saying? I totally agree. It's too much. Right. That's why. And I draw the line on veal and lamb, by the way. So that's so one, one thing that I've made a move in my Agreed. life. All right. Um, one last thing on Mike Unleashed today is, you know, I, I, a lot of people looked at this and said, yeah, it was, I was glad that he supported his friend. And I'm talking about Devontae Smith going to Colorado, I guess, where, where it was, where Henry Ruggs was convicted. He's going to do three to 10 
for vehicular homicide or whatever it was. He was going 156 miles an hour. He was drunk. His blood alcohol limit was 0.16, and somebody died as he crashed into him, and he got sentenced for that. Uh, Devontae Smith went to the uh, sentencing to show support for a guy who was going 156 mile an hour with a blood alcohol level 0.16 who killed somebody. I find found that a little irregular. How about you, Darren? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a fine line there between being a good friend, supporting your friend. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, thank God I'm not in that position. It did, it did make me think twice. It really did. It's yeah. a little hinky. And maybe a phone call, maybe a letter. I, I don't know that you show yeah, up in the courtroom and show support. The guy's the guy committed a crime crying out loud. He's going to jail. Like what's if he's family, what? it's different, right. I think. But maybe if it's just a friend, I think maybe you can't do it. All right. That's uh, Mike Unleashed for today. Uh let's go on to we haven't done this for a long while, but it's three questions for Mikey Miz. Wait, in fact, the last three questions we did was my yeah. daughter Kira, uh, the week before she was gonna get married. So three questions. For a Mikey missed today with Darren. All right, ahead, Mike. Three questions. Uh, first question: My my wife is uh, going through a medical procedure, and because to have that, she uh, Maria has to have a very. Uh, it's a no salt diet she's on right now. No salt. She can have sugar, but no salt. Nothing in her diet for a couple weeks. So I ask you, what would be tougher for you to give up? I'll give you the same length of time that she has to do it for three weeks. Tougher to give up salt. Or tougher to give up sugar for three weeks? Well, I don't eat sugar at all. So it's a no-brainer for me. But I don't. Uh, I, I could also give up salt. Uh, I know it's it's necessary, but uh, I could give up either one of them, and I wouldn't. But, but I already gave up sugar, so I would say it's harder for me to give up salt. Okay, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same lane with you. All right, question number two, another food question. My cousin uh, is a, a chef, he has a, and he has a restaurant, pizzeria in Malka Hill. Um, selfless, uh, you know, here we go. Uh, Marino's in Malka Hill, it is. And he does a season in that area. There's a lot of farm, farm fresh. He does seasonal pizzas. So, like when asparagus, I think, is in the fall, he puts asparagus on pizza. The popular one now is peach on pizza. I was in his place the other day and he said, You got to try it. And I said, Nah, I can't do fruit on pizza. It's not my bag. He had me try it, it was delicious. So I ask you, could you do, could you eat seasonal pizza like that where you have whatever's in season? Like, for example, peaches or asparagus, you know, whatever is that fruit or vegetable of the season on a pizza? Is that a, a yeah, direction I, you would I, go? I could eat it and try it. Like, I, I'm not averse to trying stuff like that. Uh, the peach makes sense because it has a, a not, pineapple notes doesn't make sense to me. But peach makes sense because it balances the sweetness with the salt of the cheese. So I, I could do that maybe once. But but in general, I I follow strict rules with pizza, uh, and it reminds me of the Seinfeld where uh, uh, Kramer put uh, cucumbers on on the pizza, and Poppy was there. No, can I put a cucumber on a pizza? So uh, that's the way I I usually look. It's at a it. pizza. The minute you put it, you feast in the dough. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great episode. All right. Uh, question number three, Mike. I saw you saw the National last week. Your favorite band at the Met. Fantastic. Okay. Two and a half hour show. That's great. So uh, I am by Springsteen's in town next week. Two shows this is since back. I'll be there for both. What's a better setting for you? What do you enjoy 
not just now, but throughout your life, better setting for a concert, stadium, or a more intimate indoor facility like the Met? Oh, more intimate all the way. I mean, the National played the Met, and the Met is fantastic. But I, I'm a big fan of the Man Music Center and uh, venues like that, smaller venues. I don't go see big bands anymore in big, uh, big uh, even even at the uh, Wells Fargo Center. Uh, I don't go see bands. So I draw the line at the small venues. All right. That's three questions for Mikey Miss. All right. So let's uh, let's close out this episode with a little random thought of the day, which leads me to a little story of Mikey Miss and his youth. I am a monster fan of Bing cherries. It's cherry season right now. Now, unfortunately, at the grocery store, it's like buying gold. Cherries are like $6.99 a pound for crying out loud. And they put them in these three pound bags. So when you check them out, you got an $18 tab, right? I had a coupon the other day, $2.99 a pound. I guess this is where I make my mark on cherries. Once I start eating cherries, I go crazy. Now, what I found out about cherries is they have really great anti inflammation qualities. Um, and, you know, I've got some bulky uh, orthopedic situations. And I noticed I felt better after I ate about 100 cherries. But then. All of a sudden, I started getting stomach discomfort. And I look up, and with cherries, the effect of cherries. And apparently, cherries are the number one fruit to give you gas. And I, I ate 100 of them. I, it was like I couldn't stop. It was like ridiculous. So now I got to, like, my cherry intake has now to. Now you can't leave the house for three days. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> The cherries have, have these wonderful anti-inflammation principles, and yet they give you gas. What's the trade-off? Uh, I, so I'm going to have a, a, a banged-up knee and not gas, or have a lot of gas and have an anti-inflammation in the knee? It depends if you have places to go. You got nowhere to go. Sit home and eat the cherries for a few uh, days. Have so the anyway, knee feel good. The story is <laughs> that in the Mikey Miss backyard on Fillmore Street in Bristol Borough, we had a big cherry tree in the backyard, and it would produce cherries. And it was fun to go pick the cherries, and you get a big pot, and you put the cherries in there, and you go to town. Well, my father, who was misguided on a lot of things, thought that the tree needed a trimming. So he gets the saw out there and starts hacking limbs off, and they tell him, well, when you hack the limb off, you got to put a little white paint to cover the, the, the visible part of the tree there. And he killed the tree. My cherry tree killed. So when I see cherries now, I enjoy them, but it takes me back to a sad time in little Mikey Missville when George Washington chopped down the cherry tree. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to fit that in. <laughs> All righty, folks. That'll end the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Scott Lauber for joining the podcast to talk about some fills. And don't forget to get out the Bet, Bet Rivers app. Uh, Bet Rivers, you get the futures odds. 700 to win a Super Bowl, plus 700 on the Eagles, minus 125 to win the NFC East, plus 300 to win the NFC. Pretty good bets, all of them. Also, thanks to my, my peeps at, at Natural Lawn for uh, getting my lawn through this trying summer where uh, the scorching heat made a lot of brown spots out there because I got Natural Lawn. Uh, my roots are healthy. Uh, all right. Uh, I believe that's about it. You can email me, as always, mike at mikemiss.com for any views you have that you want to translate to me. And uh, that's about it, I guess, at this point, right? Did we miss anything? We got you. You said it all, Mike. We, got, we did it all. All right. all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great rest of the week. And we'll catch you next week. See you later, everybody.
Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.